Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We are continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It's called Following Jesus in the Wilderness. So Luke compiled his gospel, we know this from his introduction, he compiled this gospel to help new and not yet believers and followers of Jesus. He wanted to equip them, he wanted to instruct them, he wanted to encourage them. It's the oldest and the most authoritative introduction to the faith we have. It's like an ancient new member's class. And it answers this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And one of the answers that he gives us is in the form of a picture. And that picture is a wilderness journey. Most of the Gospel of Luke is Jesus walking throughout the Judean wilderness toward Jerusalem, toward his crucifixion. And so right away we learn something important about following Jesus from Luke. It's a journey down. It's a life of sacrifice and often suffering. But this raises the question, is there any joy in the wilderness? Or is it all just grim stuff? Uh, This morning we're reading the entirety of chapter 15. And Luke 15 is very familiar to you. But when I read it, I want you to pay attention to the word joy. And I want you to pay attention to the theme of celebration. I'll read, you can follow along. We'll pray and then we'll see what God has for us this morning. This is God's word. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hearing And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99, quote-unquote, righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying... Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's eat and let's celebrate. For this is, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property Prostitutes, you killed the fat calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Lord, with the words of my mouth, with the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. BBC Radio has a fantastic long-running series called Desert Island Discs. So on it, they host famous people and they ask what album they would take with them to a desert island. And I love these shows. I love these shows. If you know me, you know I would love a show like that. Um, because I'm always asking the question, and even asking friends, like, what is your desert island album? Well, for me, it's an impossible question, even if it's a fun question. But one of my all-time favorite albums, at least in my top 20, <laughs> rotates and ships. I got a top 20. That's a healthy enough margin for me. It's called Car Wheels on a Gravel Road by Lucinda Williams. Buddy Miller on guitar, Emilio Harris singing backup. It's an incredible. It's an incredible album. And there's one track in particular that stands out. It's called Joy. And it's not what it sounds like. It's actually a lament. Somebody apparently took Lucinda's joy. And so she cries out, I don't want you anymore because you took my joy. I don't want you anymore. You took my joy. You took my joy. I want it back. You took my joy. I want it back. Over and over and over again. You took my joy. I want it back. 
You took my joy. I want it back. It's a powerful track because it's a simple track. And we've all been there. For possibly we're there right now. It's as if joy is this object, a very nice and rare artifact sitting on the shelf of our heart. And it's as if somebody either intruded and knocked it off the shelf and it's, and it's broken or they intruded and they stole it. Or perhaps we lent our joy to somebody and they took it away and we want it back. When I was a college student, I played this song for some frustrated coworkers, and we were having a hard time with our manager. And it became an anthem on one particularly bad night. You took our joy and we want it back. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe that's you this morning as you think about your job. Maybe it's a person in your life. Or maybe it's you. You're carrying regret. And it's like a rock in your shoe. And so you, your past self, has taken your joy. Maybe it's not a person at all. Maybe it's circumstances outside of your control. And believe it or not, we are at the 24-month, the two-year period, uh, sort of anniversary, if you want to call it that, of this global pandemic we find ourselves in. And adrenaline and maybe a sense of like a denial, perhaps, might have carried you through the past 24 months, but today you realize you've lost a lot of ground in life. When I ran across the country in middle school, I ran so hard in an invitational uh, that I didn't realize I broke my leg in the process during the race. Adrenaline and a nice dose of denial carried me through the race. It covered the pain. Maybe today you're just now starting to feel the fracture. It feels like your joy's been taken and you want to well, I can relate. That's my story. But here's the thing. This morning, Jesus, in the text we just read, challenges the whole premise. This idea that joy can be stolen or taken away. Jesus asks the question, what if real joy is not like an object that can be stolen or broken? What if Lucinda's old joy is not worth having back at all? What if there was something better? What if there was a joy that was more lasting? What if there was a joy that was more reliable? What if there was a joy that could not be stolen by anybody or anything? Well, Jesus offers this reliable joy this morning, and the way he does this is with three impossible-to-forget stories. One about a shepherd, one about a woman, and another about a father. Different characters, but the same conclusion. Shocking, durable, eternal, God-wrought joy. I hope you noticed it when we were reading the text together, that every single story ends with joy and celebration. And Jesus is, wants this audience to share in that joy. So notice who he's talking to in verses 1 through 2. Grumbling Pharisees. These were joyless men. They were bitterly complaining about Jesus and his ministry. They were grumbling about Jesus eating with sinners. Jesus was celebrating their new status as beloved in God and now heirs of the kingdom. And these men were not celebrating, but trying to shut down the party. 
And so these stories are a challenge to the historical Pharisees, the Pharisees on the pages of our Bible, but it's also a challenge to the Pharisees in our hearts this morning. But ultimately, these stories, I think, are an invitation. Jesus is saying, you are missing out in the real joy that I bring. And I want you to have it. And the only way I can make you see this joy is with these subversive stories. Jesus is saying, I hope you change course and I hope you join the party. So what is this joy and how can we share it? Two things this morning. Number one, reliable joy is anchored in God's joy. Jesus tells us reliable joy is anchored in God's joy. In fact, now hear this, reliable joy is God's joy. All three stories are invitations to share in God's joy. That's why it's reliable. It's his joy. Look again at the climax of each story. After the shepherd finds his lost sheep, verse 6, take a look. He comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more where? Joy where? In heaven. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents of 99 so-called righteous persons who need no repentance. And then after the woman finds a coin she lost in verse 9, what's it say? She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin I have lost. Just so, Jesus says, there is joy before the angels, that's in heaven also, of God over one sinner who repents. And then after the father finds the lost son, he says in verse 23, take a look. And bring the fatted calf. Kill it, let's eat and let's celebrate, for my son was dead, he's alive again, was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Verse 25, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. <laughs> there is joy in the wilderness. There is music and dancing in the wilderness. It's God's joy. The party is in heaven, and Jesus is urging us to join in. Amen. New Testament scholar Tom Wright, he writes, if you discover what's going on in heaven, you'll discover how things were meant to be on earth. He goes on, that is after all the point of praying that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. We've got some fragile plants in the hack house. They require... The cultivation of an ideal environment, I'm learning. <laughs> the right amount of sunlight, not too hot, not too cold, not too dry, not too humid. Otherwise, these plants die. Well, that's not joy, according to Jesus. The joy he gives does not require an ideal environment. The joy on offer this morning is his joy. It's set. The party in our soul is not a party that we are responsible for throwing. It's a party in heaven, God's face, that He is throwing, and we are invited. Every so often, our neighbors throw a huge party. They get all their college friends together. 
And I have to turn on our kids' noisemaker and put it right by our window because the party's going on whether I like it going on or not. <laughs> it just is. It's a fact. It's a fact on the ground. There is a party going on. And I can ignore it with the noisemaker. And that's one of Jesus' points this morning. His joy is just outside the window. You can't ignore it. It's there. And it's not going anywhere. And so the joy in the wilderness is His joy. And He wants us to join in. Which brings us to the second point. Reliable joy is anchored not just in God's joy. How do we experience it? How do we join in? It's because it's anchored in God's grace. We're going to talk about grace for a minute. Jesus says, join in, but how? How? How do we do this? We have to taste, Jesus said, God's grace, which Jesus offers in these three stories and displays in these three stories. We see three things about God's grace in these stories. Number one, His grace pursues. Notice each uh, story Jesus tells is a story of pursuit. Did you notice that when they were being read? They're stories of pursuit. In the parable of the lost sheep, for instance, notice what the shepherd does about the lost one sheep, the one lost sheep. In verse 4, he goes after it. That's what the text says. He goes after it persistently until he finds it. Hang on to that word, until. In the parable of the lost coin, what does the woman do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She seeks diligently until, and there's that word again, until she finds it. And in the parable of the lost son, what does the father do? He doesn't wait until the son comes to him. While the son is still a long way off, the father does what? He runs toward him. Is that detail on accident? No, it's not an accident. Jesus knows what he's saying. In those days, shamed fathers, which is what this father was, shamed by his son, they don't run to greet their runaway son. Most would reject their runaway son, and if they're willing to even see them, they would not run after them in the manner of this father. In fact, some scholars say this parable should be named the parable of the running father. That's how scandalous it is to have a running father in this situation. That's how shocking it is. But friends, that is the grace of God. That is the shocking grace of God. Jesus pursues us, not the other way around. And he pursues until, until, and until he finds you. That's grace. The second thing we learn about grace in these stories is that his grace rescues. And not just pursues, but his grace rescues. Each story that we heard this morning is a rescue story. In each story, something or someone is desperately lost. The sheep, the coin, and the sun. The sheep, the coin, and the son, if you think about it, can do nothing on their own to be found. They're stuck. The Apostle Paul would say they're dead in their sins and trespasses. Recently, our family was talking about CPR because their kids are learning about CPR at school. And so naturally, I started to talk about how I was a lifeguard in high school. 
And they asked if I ever had to do CPR, and I told them I had to do CPR, of course. And then I had to say it was on a dummy, but I had to do CPR uh, on a dummy. But I was prepared to rescue anybody in the water if they were drowning. That was my job as a lifeguard. Which is crazy that as I look back that they give a high schooler that job, but that's what it was. <laughs> Especially this high schooler. Well, when Jesus compares his grace to a rescue, some of us might be tempted to compare his rescue to that of a lifeguard. We're flailing in the water. He leaps into the water at great personal cost. He gets wet. And he makes sure that we don't die. But the grace of God is not like that. As others have said, we're not drowning in need of rescue. We are dead at the bottom of the pool or the ocean. That's right. God doesn't rescue dying people. God rescues dead people. What what does it say in verse 32? Jesus says, he was dead and now is back to life. His grace rescues. It's a radical rescue. And finally, his grace delights. He's a pursuer. He's a rescuer. And we might be tempted to say, okay, I'm rescued by God, by grace, but now he just has to tolerate me. But instead, the image we get is that God delights in His rescued ones. And some of you, myself very much included, need this to land this morning. You need to know that the Lord Almighty, by grace, delights in you. That He rescued you. You were dead. You have a past, and you're like, oh, I can't, you can't like that about me. Or maybe you, you sort of feel like inadequate before the Lord because of our folks and what they said about us. All of that stuff does not stand before the grace of God because God here, Jesus says, God delights in you. And that is scandalous and it's hard to believe, but guess what? That is why the gospel rocks us to the core. It's shocking. God delights in you. What does the shepherd do? Verse 5. When he has found it, he lays the sheep on his shoulders rejoicing. I want you to hear this and receive this. If you have been rescued by Jesus, then you are between the shoulder blades of the Lord Jesus. And you can feel his laughter. He's laughing because you are his. It's a delight. What does the woman do in verse 9? She calls her friends and neighbors and then throws a block her. The lost coin has been found. If you've been rescued by Jesus, if you've been found by Jesus, He is throwing a party for you. Have you ever had a party thrown for you? It's very awkward. I turned 40 recently, and my wife sort of did that, which is awesome. But I don't, you know, it's like a lot of spotlight. Some of us are like, I don't want a party about me. I don't want a party about it's not about me. And Jesus knows that. He's, he's God of the universe. Jesus knows that, but He still delights in you. He throws a party for you. What does the father do? He runs. He falls on his neck. That's what the Greek would say literally. He falls on his neck, on his son's neck. He falls on his neck and kisses him. He lavishes him with a robe, with a ring, with sandals, with a feast. A robe, a ring, sandals, and a feast. Those are all unnecessary. 
They're so lavish. They're so extravagant. But that's the grace of God. In our shame, He clothes us. In our rebellion, He gives us His authority with a ring. In our need, He gives us sandals. In our regret, He throws a party. God seeks you. He rescues you. He delights in you. That's His joy. It can be ours. How so? Well, if we take Jesus seriously this morning, it appears we must own our lostness. That's it. We show up with our need. We show up with our need. We just, we just come to Him saying, I'm lost without you. How do we own our lostness? Well, there are two ways to be lost according to Jesus. It's obvious that there is kind of what we would call classic lostness or rebelliously lost. But there's also a religiously lost person in this text as well. The rebelliously lost, I mean, this is the younger brother who runs away from, from his father in all the classically rebellious ways. But Jesus shows us that these folks are actually closer to the kingdom because they at least know their need. When you are at rock bottom, you cannot pretend anymore that you've got it together and you have something to bring. Jesus stands ready to embrace you in that moment. You need only bring your need. But it's also possible to be religiously lost. Now, this is the older brother who relates to God on the basis of his achievements. So we grumble. This person grumbles at his grace. Because we have done so much for you, God. Well, when we relate to God this way, Jesus is indicating that we are paradoxically and maybe surprisingly further away from the kingdom than the rebelliously lost son. Why? Because we fool ourselves. Religious pride tricks us into thinking we have no need and that we are not lost. Religious pride diminishes the intensity and the immensity of sin in our spiritual inability. And so in a subtle way, we hold God hostage to our demands. Because we're so proud of our achievements. And so that is a lost person as well. Even though on the exterior they look very, very religious. And so what does this mean for you? Well, it means that the grace of God is for both of you. I don't know who you are in this story this morning. Rebelliously lost or religiously lost or a little bit of both. If you're bottoming out right this very moment, Jesus is more reliably present for you right there at rock bottom. On the other hand, if you are mad at God, you're more grumble than gratitude before God, then it's possible you're relating to God on your own terms, like the older brother. It's possible you're like the older brother and you're resisting the party because they're serving a hundred proof grace inside. <laughs> so regardless of who you are, It's only until you taste the unilateral pursuit, rescue, and the light of God that you will taste reliable joy. Reliable joy 
is anchored in the joy of God, the grace of God. Reliable joy is knowing, yes, you sit on the shoulder blades of Jesus, of a rejoicing Jesus. Reliable joy is tasting His grace, believing His grace, resting in His grace. Jack Miller used to teach what he called the two cheer-ups of the gospel. When we're close to despair, he says, cheer up. It's actually worse than you realize. But number two, cheer up. You're more loved than you realize. In fact, he says, you're more loved than you even dared hope. And that summarizes the shocking joy of God on display this morning. You can enter into the joy of God. You can answer the prayer, may what is going on in heaven be true on earth, because you are more lost than you realize, but in Jesus you are more found than you ever dared hope. And so Lord, would we enter that way? Would that be our reliable joy in this season? We were lost. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.